0: that, we are back with another episode of Unmuted. I want to thank you for tuning in to season four. This is episode number five. Tonight's topic is surviving the loss of both parents, thriving in their honor. And our special guest tonight is Mr. Arnold Stringer III. He's the assistant principal at Life Academy um, in Montgomery, Alabama, a charter school. And he's also the owner of um, Math, Uh, he'll tell you all about it. He has a tutoring service um, that he offers, um, ACT test prep, tutoring for different subjects, topics, uh, you name it, he does it. He is very well-rounded. We're going to get a little bit into that um, pretty soon, but I want to introduce myself again. My name is Felicia Franklin. I am your host, your moderator. And I want to say thank you for tuning in. Um, If this is your first time tuning in to Unmuted, thank you. Welcome. If you are a repeat watcher, thank you for rocking with us another episode. Thank you for riding and enjoying this journey with us in Unmuted, Unmuting Ourselves. Some people ask me, well, what is Unmuted all about? If you notice from my logo and my uh, introduction, you will see... um, Unmuted, it's real life because we talk about real life topics. Sometimes these topics are topics that are really personal. They may be something that um, is dear to me, or it may be a topic that someone is close to me or I'm an acquaintance with that they've expressed to me, but they're not really comfortable talking on a show about it. So they've given me permission to talk about it. Um, other topics are um, it's real life it is real they are real life topics and so what we do is we bring to the forefront topics that are dear that most people may not want to talk about because you have different podcasts you have different facebook lives people are talking but what are they really talking about so bringing in unmuted, I want to really talk about something. I want to help, you know, I want to help bring people out of that mute state. See, I know what it's like to be muted. I know what it's like to be muted, to have been muted in my life. And being muted is um, a sense of being stuck. You can get stuck in a relationship. You can get stuck in a death. You can get stuck in a state of grief. You can get stuck in a job situation. There are many aspects of life that we can get stuck in because life is going to happen i like to call it life relationships. There are relationships or different situationships family relationships intimate relationships whatever the relationship is you can get stuck in that relationship because life is going to happen to us all but it's all about finding your way out of the situation and i believe i truly believe That anything that I go through in my life that has been detrimental or just a really tough time in my life and I made it through that situation, I went through it and I grew through it. I feel like it is not meant for me to just keep it to myself. Now, maybe not when I'm going through it. I may not necessarily talk about it. Because sometimes you have to keep things to yourself and you have to get through something and grow through something before and go through it and grow through it before you can actually tell someone else about it because mm, it's not always good to you know tell all your business especially while it's going you know while it's going on but i believe that we are meant to help other people so there have been things that i know that i've gone through in my life that i know someone else took their life behind it because They couldn't make it through it or they didn't see the light or they didn't see another way out. And I feel like um, that's where we're supposed to help someone else because everyone doesn't have the same coping mechanism. What may have been very detrimental to me could have been something that the next person would have went through with a breeze. But then something that the next person it could have took them out or almost took them out, it may not have been that detrimental to me. So I think that it's meant for us to help others when we go through something and we grow through something because it's a we thing. It's a we problem. I know uh, the guy on Facebook, had, uh, Instagram has the little song out, and, uh, you know, it's a them problem. Yeah, it is a them problem, certain situations. Some things are a we problem. It is up to us to help our family members. You can't always help someone else when you're going through yourself. But when you go through that and you grow through that, why not help someone else get past the same thing that you've already done? And I think that's what unmuted is all about. I've gone through several things in my life and I often ask God, why me? Why me? Why did I have to be, why did I have to be put up for adoption? Why did I have to go through the divorce? Actually, two divorces. Why did I have to, you know, why did I have this problem? Why did this happen? Why I would constantly ask God when I went through things, why me? Why me? Why me? But when He finally gave me my answer, I stopped asking God, why me? And I started saying, Well, why not me? Why not me? And that's what unmuted was birth because I survived it. I made it through it. It might have put me in a stuck state you know i survived the embarrassment i survived the shame i i I survived those things that i i survived the depression and i came out on the other side but someone didn't get through that state of, of depression and it was the very thing that i had gone through why not help someone else And that's what I want to do. So the topic may not be something that's personal to me, or it may be. And if it's not, then I want to bring other people on to show you how they got through what they got through or how they're getting through it their daily walk and how they're still thriving they're still they're surviving and they're thriving all in the same and if we can you know give resources you know life coaches therapists like licensed counselors I know a lot of people so I just try to utilize my resources where I can because that's what they're there for it's a we problem we are meant to help others go through and grow through those things that we've already gone through and if we could help someone else get through a stuck state then they can in turn help someone else because one thing i do steadily rising the divorce rate numbers are steadily rising the depression and oppression numbers are steadily rising poverty as many people are thriving and making money you know there is still a high poverty rate if we can only reach one and teach one, and they teach someone else, then that can be a positive cycle. And that's what Unmuted is all about, unmuting ourselves to help someone else. So with that being said, I want to go ahead and dive into the topic for tonight and our guest. Our guest is Mr. Arnold Stringer III, and the topic tonight is surviving the loss of both parents, thriving in their honor. Good evening again.
1: Well, good evening, young lady. How are we doing tonight?
0: Doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you?
1: I am blessed and highly favored.
0: I am so happy to have you. I, I'm always happy to have you all. You know, we have good conversations. We really do. Absolutely. So to get started, I want to first say congratulations on your, uh, your new position. You went for one thing, but God has something else in mind. Come on, assistant
1: principal. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I uh definitely relish the opportunity to have an impact in a lot of people's lives. So when I was approached with it, it was almost like a Grammy speech. I was like, I like to thank the Academy and uh those who've supported me all these years. Um, but I definitely look forward to the challenges that it presents and the ability to help um people that look like me.
0: Absolutely. So with that, you know, I, I did a little introduction of you, but I always say that nobody can talk about you better than you talk about you because you know you better than anybody else. <laughs> so, so I want you to do, you know, the introduction. Tell the people again, you know, who you are, where you're from, what you're currently doing, what you have going on, and then we're going to flow right into our topic.
1: Okay, absolutely. Uh, my name is Arnold Stringer Third. Uh, Born and raised here in the great city of Montgomery, Alabama. Um, Graduate of Alabama State University. Um, I was in education for 23 years in a combination of roles, teaching, tutoring, um, assistantships. Um, Right now, um, I serve as the assistant principal of Life Academy Charter School. Um, I also run a math tutoring uh, business called math magicians um, i'm working on a youtube page right now i had it up I had some disagreements with youtube but right now we're trying to get it back together um, i serve as a mentor in the community to the youth i try to work with the catholic church and other churches around the area to try to facilitate a pathway for young people to be stronger um not only in their faith but in their emotions and their education And then that intelligence acquisition. And I try to be an all around pleasant spirit to be near. So it's a little bit about me.
0: I think you're a pleasant spirit. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're good at what you do. And you're a people person. You're very personable. I try to be. All right. So now with that, um, because you try to be, and I, I think you succeed in what you do. You have a passion for helping you have a passion for helping. You have a passion for helping youth, and you have a passion for helping youth that look like you. I think representation um, is a very, very significant thing, and you know our youth need that to see someone thriving that looks like you, to see someone succeeding that looks like you plays a, a very big part in a child's life. And so, in in saying that, and in starting there, I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about the, you know, the the role that your parents, you know, played in your life, because, you know, you lost your parents and you reference them a lot, you know, day, you know, maybe not day to day, but, you know, sometimes it may be a day to day thing and it may be a, a weekly thing or whatever it is. I tell whenever it's on your mind, but to to lose them and to still reference them. I want you to talk about that the impact that they had on your life to to guide you into where you are right now.
1: <clears throat> well, um, I will say that um, I think about my parents every day, my mother and my father. Um, I was told when I was younger that I was a a love baby because my parents were deeply in love when I was created. So I took that to the heart because I do have a very loving spirit and nature. Um, my parents meant a lot to me. Um, growing up, we were together and apart and together and apart. So we had kind of a, a herky-jerky union in terms of always being consistently around each other. But once I got back with my parents on a full-time basis, um, they were just awesome. Uh, my father comes from a long line of brick masons, um, a lot of hard, tough, outside work heavy lifting, those kind of things. So very early on, he instilled in me the power and and the need to work hard, to always give your best, and to be an honest individual. Um, He wasn't always nice about it, but his firmness is what helped to create me, or or to create a sense of need in me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom was beautiful. Um, She used to tell me stories about <laughs> How she used to. Her teachers used to ask her to sit in the front of the class because she was so popular and she was so cool and just so beautiful. And I think that my father was a intelligent man, and my mom was intelligent too. And my mom was cool, so they mixed together to form this weird bond of cool intelligence, which students today um, often feel like they have to select. Am I going to be cool? am I going to be intelligent? Because I can't walk both paths, obviously. But I think that my parents helped to instill those things in me. Um, God-fearing at a very early age, it was always very important that we attend church. Um, I can remember being a younger, younger, younger man, uh, being in the back pews, playing with my Legos and whatnot. But in church every Sunday and Wednesdays and Thursday nights, most weeks. Um, so I think the impact that they had on me as a young man was very important. Uh, I think as I got older, uh, my mom had a direct impact on me in terms of my collegiate choice and how I actually came to be still here in the city of Montgomery. So I did pretty good in school. Um, uh, high GPA scored extremely high on the ACT. So I had a lot of scholarship offers throughout the nation. um, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. uh, My 12th grade year in high school. Um, She did not share this information with my father or my brothers or anybody else in the family. She kind of came to me um, and shared that with me. She had no daughters. She just had all sons. So we had a very close emotional relationship, similar to a relationship that a mother would have with her daughter. Um, we watched Young and the wrestlers together. So I know all about Victor Newman and Jack Abbott and all those people. <laughs> she um, used my head as an you know, experimental stage with Bantus and S curls and just for me and just for him. So we had a, a very close relationship. So when she told me she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, it broke my heart. And I was actually just in the process of selecting a college to attend. And I actually wanted to go to Michigan State University. They offered me a full scholarship. I had about 28 full scholarship offers throughout the nation. And uh, I wanted to go to Michigan State because I had family up there and whatnot. But once she told me she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, I felt bad. Like if I would left, then I would be leaving her. And I never wanted to leave her. So. I told her that i would stay she didn't ask me to stay but i just told her that i wanted to stay i Mm -hmm. chose to go to alabama state i had a great education there and we were together for a tremendous amount of time after that so i graduated from alabama state in 2002 and my mother lived another 17 years she lived until 2015 Mm -hmm. with the ovarian cancer Mm. but over those years her condition got pretty horrible at times i may have taken her to the hospital 900 times perhaps in those 17 years mm. so much so that walking into the hospital people would know my name hey mr string how you doing and i would go to all of her doctor's appointments with her um i would help her i would I bought her crutches and wheelchairs and oxygen tanks. I just felt like I needed to be there for her in that regard. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother, um, but I don't know if emotionally they were tied to it as I was because we had such a close relationship.
0: Right.
1: Um, so my father, also a hardworking young man,
0: well, well, I want to I want to stop you right there before okay. we, before we go there because I I want to I want to kind of hone in on a couple of things. You and your mother had a very close relationship, mm-hmm. um, and you were kind of her caregiver, you know, while she was sick. But it was now we've discussed it before, and I think mm-hmm. we discussed it on a previous episode from a previous season that we were on. Um, you were. You were homeless at one
1: time i was so from the age of seven to about ten maybe nine and three quarters for my mathematicians out there i was homeless which means i did not have a permanent residence of my own i was chased by the state department to um, reside in a foster home or a um, group home and i stayed sometimes for a day sometimes a week but I was always plotting to kind of get out because I didn't want to feel like I was institutionalized. Mm-hmm. And those people who don't have an inside working knowledge of those institutions, they are not set up to enrich kids. They are just set up to kind of house them. I saw beatings and um, just some of the most horrific things you can see. And and this is kids on kids kind of stuff. Right. So I definitely didn't want to make that a permanent place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually did not know where my mom was from the age of seven to 10. I just, I don't know where she was. I, I can't say that she was here, she was there. We just did not know where she was. Oh. Right. so I think that that absence from her,
0: mm-hmm.
1: once reintroduced to her- Made you fonder? It did. I I, I will say that I think my older brother uh, was more angry. Mm-hmm. My younger brother just didn't understand, mm-hmm. but I was drawn to my mother. Mm-hmm. Um. So I just took that opportunity when she needed me. I dropped everything I could just to kind of be there for her. So
0: so I want to give a little, you know, put this in perspective, because I, wanna, I want people to get an understanding. You know, we're not just, you know, talking just to be talking here. You know, when I said, you know, surviving the loss and thriving, I wanted people to understand, you know, because people go through th- things and often people think that, oh, I'm the only one that's gone through this. Nobody has dealt with this. You know, people have a sense of feeling alone when, when we actually go through something. So you were um, you were not in touch with your parents and you were homeless running from the state from seven to about nine-ish, almost 10 years old.
1: Absolutely. And I, I slept on the bridges. I slept in dog houses. Um, I slept in back seats. Um, there are a lot of members of my family who don't know all of the the actual inner workings of it. Because when you have a larger family, mm-hmm. it's just like in today's, you say, you may say, hey, you know, Travis got in trouble with the law. Oh, really? He always gets in trouble. But there's not like an inner working understanding right. of what actually went on. They just knew some of the outskirts. and I mean, I wasn't trying to broadcast my story, but I did understand right. that me sharing what I've gone through can maybe help somebody else, especially when people kind of look at me and, and kind of see that I've tried to do something positive with my life. I always find it important to share with them. what well, I also went through A, B, and C to show you that it's not about what you've been through. It's about how resilient that you are and that you can always find a way to something greater. So
0: Absolutely. Now, that was my reasoning for bringing that up. It's always a myth to my madness. You know this about me. Um, but that was my reasoning for bringing that up, because I want people to see, you know, you are a 20 year educator. Um, you but you you had your challenges. So it's not like it was a smooth walk in the park for you. Like the, the road was just this straight and, you know, straight road. You had some you had some obstacles that you had to to overcome things that you had to endure so you were in a state of homelessness so you know what it's like not to have you know what it's like to not have your parents and then to reconnect with your mother the the distance like they say um some people say distance makes the heart grow fonder that distance and that that um, lack of relationship that, you know, not being around her, it made you, you, it made your heart more fonder. And so you all had a great relationship. And when it was time for you to go off to college, that same relationship and that love that you had for your mother. Uh, now, one one sibling was angry. One sibling was maybe a little bit indifferent. And then one sibling had a heart full of love. Pretty much how that sounded about right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
0: uh, You know, that's so crazy because I completely understand that from my family. Uh, That's neither here nor there. But you were the one that was there. So now you came from a homeless child to reconnecting to your family to having at minimum 28 full scholarships to colleges across the nation As yes, well, choosing what ready to choose Michigan State University only to find out your mother was sick but you had a you felt an obligation to stay
1: yes and and she never asked me to stay right. and I think that she actually used the phrase because I had a deadline I think I needed to make a decision by Thursday she gave me this information on a Tuesday, and she was like, "Now, baby, don't don't you let this stop you from going out and living your dreams." But I could just see it in her eyes, and I just felt like had I not been there, she wouldn't have received the attention and the love, and just to kind of sit down and talk to her. Like I yeah. said, I mentioned, you know, jokingly, the the young and the restless, but she was a huge young and the restless fan. So I, I made it my man. mission. To watch it so I could say in in those moments where I knew she was down. Mm -hmm. And I could reference, girl, did you see what happened? When Victor said this or Victor said that. And even through her coughs and whatnot, she would say, I can't believe he did that. And just those little small moments like that, I know they meant so much to her. So there was nothing that I wouldn't do for her. So me watching the soap opera like that, just to give her something to smile about, I mean, I, I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: Right. Absolutely. So now we 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 talk about um, we we talk about your father. And he was he was a brick mason. He was a strong man.
1: Very, very strong. I'm actually named after him. Well, actually, he said that he named me after his father and we all share the same name. I am the third. Um, so he would always tell me that you're not named after me, son. You're named after my dad. He had a tremendous amount of respect for his dad. I know he started working at the age of four. Um, he and my uncles, that were brick masers, they always had the job. And he was born in 1950, so I'm coming up in those days. Kids were expected to kind of carry a little bit more of the load. Uh, moving around to me, he didn't have us out there as early one because my mom won't let him have him out there, get my baby out there, he it was what she said. But it was very important that we learn those skills and those traits. Like to this day, I can, you know, build mailboxes, lattice walls, anything done with construction. I mean, I'm very versed in it because I took the relationship with my dad very seriously. And he was also gone in that time frame as well. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I wanted to know more about who they were. Mm-hmm. Because by the time we reconnected and we were all together, I was 14, 15 years old mm-hmm. and living on the street for so long and fending for yourself and going through the things I've had. I wasn't an adult, but I've had so many adult experiences at this mm-hmm. time that it wasn't a lot that you could tell me. I could be fine-tuned to a point, but mm-hmm. in my mind, I almost thought like I had everything kind of figured out. Wow. And he just taught me so much about being a man and being respectable. And I just, I valued the lessons that he taught me. He taught them parables. And he talked in puns, and he was very unique in how he kind of gave information. I actually take from that myself right now. When I speak to students or people who are in a learning capacity, I try to speak not around them, but in a way where they're forced to go back and think about what I said so that the message can kind of resonate. So um, he taught me a lot about myself and just about um, how to go about life. Um, it was hard losing him because he was also diagnosed with cancer mm. he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer mm. but if you know black men in the community we don't go to the doctor mm. right? so it was a, a situation where he tried to eat something on the monday he could not hold it down he tried to eat something on the tuesday he cannot hold it down so finally got about thursday and my mom was like what's going on with you go to the doctor he did not want to go she forced him to go and when he went to the doctor there was a golf ball growth at the bottom of his esophagus that Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me that blocked entrance into the stomach Mm -hmm. so he couldn't get food down into his stomach the reason why this was so difficult is because my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 1998 and she lived until 2015. My father was diagnosed with cancer in November of 2007, and he died in March of 2008. Wow. He was a large man. Those people who know me, I stand six six, uh, way above 300 pounds. When he passed, or when he was in good health, shall I say, he was 315 pounds. Mm-hmm. And when he died he was maybe 60 pounds. Oh wow. So to watch him physically deteriorate mm-hmm. day by day, uh, it was just very hard to watch and um it was rough because he didn't know how to handle it. Again him being out working at the age of four uh, in the he he was he was a very man's man very rough and, and rugged and so for him not to be even to be able to stand for himself or to feed himself, it, it just it, it it beat him up emotionally. Mm-hmm. And I can remember him telling me, son, I'm tired. So it, it was just hard just to kind of watch. And so for him to be diagnosed in the past um, so soon behind that, it had an effect on all of us. But my mother took it extremely hard knowing that she was diagnosed and she would always say that he was supposed to be there with her. Yeah. And he left her in mm-hmm. her moment of sickness. So just... And then trying to balance that emotion and comfort her as well versus trying to comfort myself and the rest of my family. It it was definitely kind of trying, to say the least.
0: So you, you were there for your mother, very close to your mother, a strong emotional bond with your mother. She was diagnosed with cancer. And it prompted you to stay in the city of Montgomery um, only for your father to end up being diagnosed with cancer as well. However, his life ended. It took his life far more quicker than your mother's. Yes, ma'am. So now you are you're holding on to your mother that is battling cancer and you lose your father to cancer while your mother is still battling cancer.
1: Yes, ma'am. And trying to deal with the the fallout from that, uh, my brothers, they both took it very hard. Uh, my younger brother actually was a twin at birth, Um but my younger brother passed so he always felt empty of sort he would always mm. talk about it. I didn't know my brother but I wish my brother was here and he was a he was hard-nosed mm. so he and my dad butted heads a lot mm. maybe the last 2 years of my dad's life he and my dad grew very close and he took it very hard because he realized that he wasted a lot of time Trying to run opposite of my dad instead of trying to actually take heed to what my dad was actually trying to say. So I know he felt extremely bad about that. So even to this day, it feels like it's just he and I. Um, My younger brother, that is. I counsel him and I try to hug him. And he's not very vocal with a lot of people. He doesn't reach out a lot, but he leans on me pretty heavy and uh, i always try to be there for him because i know how difficult um it is for him um i try not to get too caught up in what i am dealing with because i know i have so many people that kind of, kind of depend on me and i think that's a big part of why you no know, comes conversations like this is so important
0: yeah, because
1: I, as much as i don't want to face and embrace what it is that bothers me i can try to hide behind me being there for others as much as I want, but I have to deal with what I'm going through as well. And sometimes that makes it um, very difficult, especially um, when I go into both my mother and my father's final hours, when I share that with you and your followers in that that may be a little hard to to ingest as well, but I'm here to be completely frank so that we can see the big picture and see that there is a side beyond the pain
0: and I I do want to go into that but I want to talk just a little briefly here about um, I can somewhat tell when you're having your moments Um, even if we if I hadn't talked to you like Mm -hmm. you'll send me a random text or I may send you around like I got a random text this week (laughs) Um, and I may send you a random text periodically or something Um, and I can tell when you're, when you're having a moment, because it, and I don't know it's I, I sense that maybe, you know, you're, you're needing something, you're needing something. Um, And, and you're, you're still, you still have that void, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it, it's, it's hard to, um, that death is hard
1: it is you know
0: the the grief process it doesn't have a time limit on it you can be too good today and you know tomorrow it's like the the feeling is just caving in on you but life is still happening you yes, know I, I look okay on the outside but i'm really not okay But I still have life going on so I can't stop but I'm not okay and I don't think we I I think we as a people not even a culture just a people in general have to learn how to get to the place of saying and being comfortable with I am not okay um let's talk about your you know let's go into that to that not okay
1: well, it's definitely not comfortable saying that you're not okay, and I will be the first one to tell you that I spend a lot of time in the I'm not okay phase on the inside. On the outside, I try to put forth a brave exterior, but those that know me very closely, and even those who don't know me very close, I have a very outgoing personality. And so when you're around me, I always got something to say. I'll give you a high five and a hug. Or I want to try and say something to kind of uplift you and make you feel good. Um, and so I really only have two gears. I have high and I have low. So I didn't know I wore it on my face as much as I've been told that I do. But there's just some days when I just, I just don't have it. And so I'm quiet. I'm reserved to myself. And because I'm so outgoing on a normal basis, he immediately stands out. People say, oh, what's wrong with you? And that bothers me to a point because I don't really want people concerned about what's going on with me mm-hmm. because I, I've grown accustomed to to be a problem solver. Hey, you tell me what's going on. Let me fix it. Let me give you some ideas. It's much easier for me to deal with others' issues than it is to deal with my issues. So when I can't hide it and this is just out there and people know something's kind of going on with me, you have some people who are pretty persistent in saying, "Hey, what's going on? What's going on?" And so I still try to hide b- behind my own feelings and whatnot. I'm notorious for stuffing everything in a bag inside myself and just not dealing with it. But that's definitely not healthy. It is and not.
0: It, it is not. At least you you know that. But why are we like that? You know why are are we like that you know we you know at some point you know we we have to learn to 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 face it we, we're gonna you know have to deal with it maybe not telling everybody but having that 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 one person that's a safe space
1: i i think it's it's more about the individual and experiences that that they've had very much so and and, and i say this. in in all joking but in series as well so I won't mention any names but that was a long 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 time ago I was was dating a young lady and uh, she mentioned to me that I was a maybe a tad bit emotional because I would tell you what I had on my heart I would say hey I don't like this or this is how I'm feeling or when you do A, B or C I'm really not a fan of it so I, I would do that and I know that it is not necessarily always um, smiled upon when men show their emotions. And I told I I, I will cry. I am a crier. Mm-hmm. But I, I could also take you up, pick you up and throw you through a window. So, I mean, and I can cry about that. So, it I don't think that the crying, at least for me personally, doesn't affect my masculinity at all. But I know that some guys are afraid to show that side of them for what kind of comes behind that. I can remember being in arguments with said young lady and one of the, the, the jokes that she would say at me, you're too emotional with your emotional self or something like that. So the wrong individual can take that and say, so so when I show my emotions, it's not good. But yet when we can't connect emotionally, now you're concerned, like maybe we shouldn't be together. And it's just, it's a weird circle. So men try to, for the most part, try to reside in the stereotypes that are given to them by society. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're tough. We're fighters. We're not criers. We don't talk about our problems. Um, we watch good times and we move on. Hey, war under the bridge. And we never really go head up with those problems to truly discuss, uh, what's on our heart. Even if a solution is not given, just being able to vocalize and speak to that pain and those issues that you're dealing with can means so much, but, it's just so frowned upon or it appears to be so frowned upon, especially in the Af- African-American community, to say what's wrong with you. I can remember for a long time, we didn't even accept people who were or we didn't accept the term. If this is accepted, crazy. You know, Uncle John, you know, he he stay in that room in your house. He's not crazy. He's just he's special. Right. We wouldn't even accept that there may be something kind of going on. With that. So I just think it's a stigma about being open and honest, especially for men, because who do we talk to? We're uncomfortable talking with other men, especially may not always reciprocate. But yeah, hey, I felt like that too. And we may not feel comfortable talking to ladies, especially those women that we may be pursuing, because we don't want that to seem like a sign of weakness or something uh, to that regard.
0: And you know what? And that goes both ways. I've, I've learned that and I've talked to you know, so many people and we've had know just different conversations about that that goes so many different ways because you have women that you know don't want to talk to men because the men feel like you're too emotional you you talk too much or whatnot and a woman can't really verbalize or, or vocalize what she is really feeling and she needs to get that out and then you know on the same token Uh, men are the very same way and it does appear and and time has shown that men are um are more scrutinized for vocalizing their their feelings or whatnot but I mean it does more harm than it does good I mean because let's be let's be honest you know even keeping it on the topic your father didn't want to go to the doctor when he was sick because men aren't supposed to show a sign of weakness
1: absolutely
0: but it killed him because he didn't want to deal with it or talk about it you know it's it's killing it's killing us you know how many people are going into cardiac arrest um how many people have high blood pressure because they're holding so many different things in that they need to release you know the stress of that people are you know they, they're talking talk about that 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 crazy uncle or that you know not getting proper mental health care and you're stuck in your own feelings you're stuck in your own head so now you have the same thing you know just revolving in your head on a day in day out basis you get stuck in your thoughts sometimes it's 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 just good to even if it does sound crazy to get it out of your head and out of your mouth to someone you know I've often said even you know find someone sometimes you may not even want anyone to talk back with you you just need them to sit there and be your ear just let me get it out I need to get it you know get it off of me um and it seems that sometimes you need that outlet and you know men need that outlet and that's probably why women talk so much because we try to get it out you know but what can what can make you more comfortable with you know getting getting it out and um going into that state of healing
1: I think that it really comes with exposure to understanding how important that is. So I don't think that men really go into that because it's never really been emphasized to them that this is a very important part of their maturation process. Again, I think that I was unique in that my father was super tough. He dealt with concrete. I once saw my father, <laughs> and let me apologize to Peter before I say this, but I saw my father crush a, an adult turtle shell with his hands. Oh. So he was rugged. He was very strong and tough. And my mother was emotionally very intelligent. So she would always, from a young age, in, in impugning me, how important it was for me to love. She was a loving mother. So she hugged me, she kissed me. She would always tell me how important I was to her. And those things resonated to me. So when I found myself in dark places, I go back to those different things that she said to me and I have to wrestle with that to say, well, where am I? Am I close to that? So I can define where my hurt is coming from and then embrace it. So it's definitely a two-tier process. I have to see why am I hurting, what is causing me this trauma, but then what can I do about it? So I think the first step is probably the hardest step for guys to even admit or embrace that, okay, when she did this to me, that caused me this trauma. I need to be able to talk about that trauma to fully be able to move on. And if we think about relationships and whatnot, I think that plays a huge part in carrying baggage from one relationship to the next relationship so when things are not unresolved when we leave things unresolved we take that and we blame and uh, we share some discomfort from one to the other and it just can get so murky but it's very difficult for men to say i was wrong or i am weak or i cannot handle this by myself because in the past the way society views men like this is that they are incapable because if I am expected to be a protector and a provider, it's almost innate that I have to be able to, to protect and provide for myself before I'm able to actually go out and, and take a family and do this as well. So it's it's definitely needed though. Um I myself am a I psychoanalyze myself all the time. Um I don't know. I am. I'm definitely my own therapist. I sit down on my own couch and I talk to myself as the patient and, um, as the doctor. And I think that some outlet is needed. If I gave the example of a plastic bottle full of water, ready to burst, you have to be able to poke holes in that to release some of that pressure. So early on in my life, I was a poet, I did music. So I think those were outlets for myself where I spoke it in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. without directing it at anybody in particular so that kind of let me let steam off incrementally in small doses so that i didn't get this overwhelming sense to kind of burst um even though that only helped slightly because i only let a little of their pressure out but yet and still other things were kind of you know being added on so um trying to have that conversation with men is very difficult especially if you're not willing to have that conversation with yourself but like i mentioned my younger brother earlier we have those conversations because i'm vulnerable with him Mm. to a certain extent so he's able to kind of do that for me even though to be completely honest i never tell him what's going on with me he knows me so well he said i know something is going on and i quickly switched to "Say, hey what's going on with you Uh, first
0: of all i'm gonna need you to do better but we're gonna talk about that offline (laughs) So even in that, you know, even with all of that, you and and you, we do know that when you have baggage from previous relationships or you have, you know, and I'm not going to call grief and and whatnot, you have issues, unresolved issues, it's hard for you to move forward in a relationship when you haven't, I have a, a comment on here. When you don't have the self-love, she uh, mentioned self-love. It's hard to have a lasting, meaningful relationship when you still have things that you haven't dealt with. You know yourself. If if you're not whole, you're not. You know, you're not healed. Then you really can't give someone else what what they need. So even in all of the endeavors that you've um you've tapped into you still have you know a place that's not quite not quite whole yet but you but you're thriving and you're you're thriving in the honor of your parents but you you're not i don't know if we can ever get over the loss I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, that's not, I don't, I don't, I'm not there yet. You know, because you're going to always have that, that void, you know, in your life. You're going to always have, and, and I, tr- I truly believe um, what helps is the relationship that you had with the individual that you lost. Um, my grandmother passing away was a major, major loss in my life. But I think I was able, even when you know, I think about her often. But I, I think I was a little, I was able to handle it a little bit better because I think I, I because I didn't have any regrets. Mm. Um, I had been there. I had. I've done. You know every because of the relationship we had i can't say that it made it any it didn't make it better but maybe a little easier if that makes sense Mm -hmm. uh my sister passed because of the relationship that we had i don't think it made it better but it made it a little a little easier because I, I can't say I had any regrets. I had done, you know, I, I, I had done everything that I could possibly do as a sister. When can you, when do you let go? When you have done everything that you can, you did everything that you could for your parents, you were there. Um, When do you, when do you relief a little bit
1: i think it's um i know in in my case personally i think it's 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 individualized between the parents um Mm -hmm. because i i tend to to kind of go to a place where i think about what i did and what i did not do me and my dad we had a great relationship but as young men come of age there's a time where young men challenge their fathers Mm -hmm. Um, there's one incident, and uh, to be true, I'm going to try not to tear up at this particular comment um, because it definitely bothers me. There was one incident that I can think of with my father where I challenged his authority in the house. And I was young, coming up, I was smelling myself like I I lived in the streets, so how are you going to tell me what to do? And, you know, my dad wasn't very vocal, but you could always tell when something bothered him. And so I had a back. A small bat. It wasn't a full-size bat. But I was walking around the house with the bat as to say, you try to say something to me, and I'm gonna hit you with this bat. I never said that I would hit him with the bat, but that's the impression that I was given. Uh just I was giving off that air. And I'll never forget, I was I was kind I was trying to antagonize him of sorts, mm-hmm. and so I was looking for him in the house to make sure that I can walk past him so he could see the back. And I'll never forget, he actually went outside in the backyard in the dark, and he was just sitting by himself. He wasn't crying, but I could tell he was very upset. And when I saw him upset like that, it made me upset because I know that I didn't mean for him to take it like that, even though I did. I was trying to show him I'm a man, but I never, I, I always thought it would lead to anger. But when I realized it, it led them to sadness. Even to this day, when I pray to him, I always tell him I didn't mean it. I always say that. So, so
0: I have a I have a um we have a comment and um she said let the let the guilt go and heal. Amen. And sometimes it can be the small things. You know, it amazes me that we can do so much and we hold on to something that could be so little and it could it could be so big in our life. You know, Absolutely. you know, something so small we can we can hold on to it and we can we can make a mustard seed, a mountain, and it can block us on the inside and we can still maintain and do everything you know in life day to day um i feel like we're not being our true selves then you know we we have to find our our true self i am you know i'm i'm always in in awe when i talk to you you know because you're so real but I'm so amazed at, you know, the, the turnaround. I mean, because you were from seven to roughly 10, you were homeless. You were, you know, you know, you were running from the state because you didn't want to go to foster care. You living here or there on the bridge. People don't even understand, you know, when they a person will look at you and they will sum you up by just looking at you not knowing what you have dealt with what you are dealing with coming from you know this 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 child fending for himself living in a doghouse finding someone's car to live in you know living up under a bridge feeding yourself however you could to reconnecting with your family having this relationship with your mother a trying time with you know your father and gaining a newfound relationship with your father for they both you know ended up being diagnosed with cancer your father left before your mother your mother had her own sadness and you you became her caregiver and her nurturer you nurtured your mother while she was she nurtured nurtured you as a baby and you nurtured her through her illness and you still managed to go to college full ride how many degrees 20-year educator now assistant principal you may still have, which we all do, we, we still have, we all have our it. Everyone has their own it that we're working on, you know, because none of us are perfect. But through your own flaws, you have so many children that, you know, look up to you my child before you were ever his teacher you all had a relationship he was just he wasn't even in the good times program he's hanging out with mr stringer you know like <laughs> two grown men i'm like you know where are you at i'm in good times for what talking to mr stringer. who is this mr stringer <laughs> you know you got you know so many kids even the kids that have graduated we have the same babies your kids are my kids how we got so many kids and don't really have that many kids but they still (laughs) reach out to you it's it matters to them they're still running it by you you know you have that should make you that that should just really give you a sense of a sense of peace you know you when we we talked about when you decided to make the move and take the new position and the impact that you have on the the, not just the the children but even the staff if you can have that impact on others and you can help others come out of themselves I want to ask you this. Don't you think that your mother and your father want the same for you?
1: I would hope so. But I try to, I think I try to talk myself out of it. Just like the the last thing that I mentioned about my dad and the situation. You know, after he passed, I would tell my mom all the time, you know, that I didn't mean it or whatnot. And she would always say, "Well, he knows you didn't mean it, baby. You're not that kind of child." Because that was completely outside of what I would do. But even though she would tell me that he forgave me, just not being able to. So, in in, in, in my mind, I was man enough to do that, but I wasn't man enough to apologize and let him know that it didn't mean it. So that bothers me. Um. So as much as I try to give outward of those things to, to try to impact people. Sometimes I don't forgive myself for things kind of like that. Um, although I I think that I've had enough conversations with him, you know, <laughs> recently um, that I think that he would forgive me. I just beat myself up for not being able to kind of have that conversation with him. So I, I would hope that um they would want that and that I was deserving of it
0: and that was in 2000 and
1: when the incident with my dad happened? Yes. oh uh, that was that was 97.
0: Okay. And he passed away in 2007? 8 2008. Uh-huh. 11 years. And away. so like 97, 2008 we 2022 now. I think it's
1: well, I mean, I hope so. just, I don't know. I me, Maybe it's a, a point of me not forgiving myself for the transgression because I know I shouldn't have done it. And like I said, it's easier for me to give, forgive others than it is for myself. And I struggle with things like that all the time. So it's just a, a bump on my road to growth that I'm trying to kind of get over every day. Those type of things and other things that I beat myself up about that I don't always share, but I try to redirect that energy into making sure that others don't, you know, mimic those mistakes or have those type of feelings and whatnot. So I get so lost in the positivity that I try to direct to others that sometimes when I'm sitting by myself, I think about how it's more do as I say instead of don't do as I've done because I'm just not. You know, please with myself in, in those small segments of myself when I'm alone. So, yeah, um, we, we're going to need
0: to we're going to need to reel that in. We're going to talk offline, though. Um But I do want to mention I have two comments. And one uh comment is he said the first step is healing. To healing is forgiving yourself. And. And if you are watching on whatever, I'm running two different platforms here. If you are watching this, if you watch the replay, if you catch it on YouTube or on our podcast, the first step to healing is forgiving yourself. We, we are quick. I Take that back. Sometimes we are quick to forgive others. And sometimes it takes us a while to forgive others, but we will never forgive ourselves. At some point, we do and we must forgive ourselves. You can't walk into what God fully has for you if you can't let go of what he needs you to let go of. Another comment we have is this is the making of a great leader. You are honoring your parents, just as Jesus said. And I truly believe that. That's why in knowing you, when I we spoke about the topic, surviving the loss of both parents, I just told you today um, the caveat to that was thriving in their honor. Because I know that everything that you do, you are keeping the 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 legacy of, of your parents alive through yourself, even the raising of your children, you know, that being an educator and doing everything that you've done and being the mentor that you are and raising your children, future leaders, you relish all of it back to your parents. You give it all back to... You are the man that you are because of the parents that raised you. You are the man that you are. You are the leader that you are. You are the mentor that you are. You are the father that you are because of what they instilled in you. You are a leader. You are worthy of being... Or forgiving yourself. When your father... When you are reconnected and you got closer, even in his, his last months, that connection let you know that you were forgiven. Now, now this is to you, whoever else watches, you take it for yourself, but this is for you. That connection, those moments that was letting you know that you are forgiven, Now you just have to forgive yourself. And and once you do I do believe you're going to walk into what you have been destined to walk in. The doors have already been opening. You went to a new position. You went to a new school for one position and God opened up a door. (laughs) And I'm going to just go ahead on and say this, um, because it's been said um, in conversations, you know, myself and other people, you should have been assistant principal where you left. But see how he opened the door for assistant principal? It's time. It's time. Forgive you. Your father did. You're thriving in
1: there. <clears throat> I'm definitely trying to forgive myself. I, I definitely am. I, I, I assure you that. I, and I beat myself up all the time about that. I um, <clears throat> I wanted to, to kind of just touch upon um, part of the relationship. I think something God put in me. I, for some reason, I began to relish the one-on-one time that I had with both my parents way before I knew that they were sick. I just individually, a fun fact, Montgomery, Alabama, Alabama, you're either an Alabama fan or you're an Auburn fan. That's kind of what goes on down south. But I had such an affinity for both my parents. I was actually put on the spot once. My mom was an Alabama fan. My dad had liked a lot of different teams, but he primarily went toward Auburn. They sent me down they told me to pick and I couldn't pick between them. So it just happened to be a Florida Gator commercial on TV. I said, Florida, because I didn't want either one of those two to be left out. Mm-hmm. And in both last moments of their lives, I was the last person with them. Uh, my father passed in the hospital and his heart rate had got so low. My mom was a nurse we were all in there visiting him and she said son he's gone they're going to come in here and ask us in a minute do we want to take him off the machine and she said i want you to tell her that we can take him off he's struggled long enough so i was in there 10 minutes with him when nobody else was um i kissed him on the forehead and i let the nurse know and i was the last person to kind of be in there with him uh my mom was a little rougher for me um She was actually living where I'm working at right now in the senior senior citizen's living facility. Um, She had a heart attack outside at about 12 o'clock at night. Mm. And I was called over to ID the body. They had the police line and the cover like you see on CSI. And I had to um, ID the body so um, just having that ending with them. I think that kind of haunts me to a degree because I was the first one to run to their defense, but then I was the last one to kind of be with them. I think that had some type of poetic meaning, uh, but I really didn't, haven't had the chance, you know, in um, all these years to kind of sit down and try to figure out what it meant. I knew that God kind of placed me there for a reason. I used to, similar to what you said, instead of asking why, ask why not. So in my group of friends, I was the first guy to lose my mother. And it was very hard for me and all my friends stood with me. Um, and I love them to this day for that. But in the past four or five years, my other friend's mom has started to kind of pass off as we get older and they always reach out to me. And when I give them words of wisdom, they take it to the heart because they truly know, that I know the pain. It's not something like he doesn't know. They watched me from afar deal with it. So now when I speak to them, they're like, well, if you say I can deal with it, I know only because I know that they believe in me. So God put me through those things first, maybe to be there for them. And that's how I try to look at it. And um, I just try to turn it for a positive. But me being able to be that for someone else Even without that, I still struggle to to kind of be there for myself. So I'm trying to grow every day and be better, not for myself, but just for the people around me as well. So I can try to help them, try to go and um, be great.
0: My pastor calls that um, not being a novice. You know, how can you help someone go through if you've never gone through yourself? Mm-hmm. And because you've gone through it and they know you're, you're not a novice to it you're not new to it because you've already you you went through it and you, you grew through that so instead of sympathizing you can empathize with them because you've been there you understand um, and it gets better everyone in their own time I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in queue but I want to first say thank you for Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your yes, always. Thank you for thank you for being so intimate with us and really um, telling your heart because we never know um, who needs it, and sometimes even in our telling, we need it. So I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm gonna do a little recap. I'm gonna put you in queue. Just hang tight, and I'll be back with you. It's yes, round. So tonight it was, um, which I try to always have, you know, great topics and great dialogue, and you know, was a very intimate segment. Tonight's topic was surviving the loss of both parents, thriving in their honor. Our guest tonight was Mr. Honor Stringer III. He's assistant principal at Life Academy Charter School here in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, He is, um, he's a tutor. He's a mentor. He's a father of three beautiful daughters. Um, He is an all around good guy. And even with, you know, everything that you see on the surface, you know, we all still deal with our own it, whatever that it may be. We talked about in the show how he was seven years old. He was you know homeless from seven to roughly 10 years old He so he knows what it's like to to be homeless to live on the street fending for himself running away from the state because he didn't want to go to a foster home or a group home or you know living in someone's car or, or whatever it was to just to survive to end up being reconnected with his family first with his mother and having a a a very emotional and yearning relationship that distance makes the heart grow fonder type of relationship with his mother and then with his father as well as they all reconnected together his mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer later on and his father was diagnosed with esophagus cancer if I'm not mistaken I believe that's what it was. His mother, his mother um, lived a lot longer than his father did, even with her sickness. Um, and through it all, through through both of those, becoming his mother's nurturer, becoming his mother's caregiver, being there for his father um, in his in his last days, in his last months, being there for his siblings. Um, He still managed to to survive. He still managed to thrive, getting a full-ride scholarship, attending Alabama State University after with, I think he had a minimum of 28 full-ride scholarships nationally, but he chose to stay here taking care of his parents, not because they asked him to, but because he felt an obligation to do it. 20 plus years in education plenty 20 plus years he's tutoring he's mentoring he's this he's that he's there for others and we still have an it but he's thriving in the honor of his parents the ones that instill those values instill those morals and even in their passing he wants to continue to live up to that legacy and and let that legacy pass on see that's called getting out of a state of stuck no one is perfect we're gonna all have something that we need to deal with we're gonna always have an it but it's not allowing that it to take us out it's not allowing that it to cause us to be stuck and that's what muting is Muting is to be stuck in a situation, in a life situation, something that you can't get, something that you can't shake, something that's stifling you, something that's choking you, something that's taking away your voice. And that's why we want to unmute. We want to be able to grow. We want, to be, we want to be able to heal. We want to become whole. We don't want those life relationships because life happens. And whatever the relationship is, life is going to happen to us, but let's happen right back to life. Let's not get stuck in what we go through. I believe it's meant for us to go through, grow through, and use our voice to help someone else go through, grow through what they've gone through. That's unmuting not staying silent and keeping quiet on what we've been delivered from it may not be meant for everyone to know but you never know who you can help that's unmuted i want to thank you all for tuning in to season 4 episode number 5 with our guest speaker honor stringer the third surviving the loss of both parents thriving in their honor Please be safe and have a wonderful night. This is Unmuted.